Chapter 37 of The Headless Horseman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jen Jones, Montreal, Canada. The Headless Horseman, A Strange Tale of Texas by Maine Reed. Chapter 37. A Man Missing. The breakfast bell of Casa del Corvo had sounded its second and last summons, preceded by a still earlier signal from a horn, intended to call in the stragglers from remote parts of the plantation. The field hands, laboring near, had collected around the quarter, and in groups, squatted upon the grass or seated upon stray logs, were discussing their diet, by no means spare, of hog and hominy, cornbread and corn coffee, with a jocosity that proclaimed a keen relish of these, their ordinary comestibles. The planter's family assembled in the sala were about to begin breakfast when it was discovered that one of its members was missing. Henry was the absent one. At first there was but little notice taken of the circumstance, only the conjecture that he would shortly make his appearance. As several minutes passed without his coming in, the planter quietly observed that it was rather strange of Henry to be behind time and wonder where he could be. The breakfast of the southwestern American is usually a well-appointed meal. It is eaten at a fixed hour and table d'hote fashion, all the members of the family meeting at the table. This habit is exacted by a sort of necessity arising out of the nature of some of the viands peculiar to the country, many of which, as Virginia biscuit, buckwheat cakes, and waffles, are only relish coming fresh from the fire, so that the hour when breakfast is being eaten in the dining room is that in which the cook is broiling her skin in the kitchen. As the laggard or late riser may have to put up with cold biscuit and no waffles or buckwheat cakes, there are few such on a southern plantation. Considering this custom, it was somewhat strange that Henry Poindexter had not yet put in an appearance. "'Where can the boy be?' asked his father for the fourth time in that tone of mild conjecture that scarce calls for reply. None was made by either of the other two guests at the table. Louise only gave expression to a similar conjecture. For all that, there was a strangeness in her glance, as in the tone of her voice that might have been observed by one closely scrutinizing her features. It could scarce be caused by the absence of her brother from the breakfast table. The circumstance was too trifling to call up an emotion, and clearly at that moment she was subject to one. What was it? No one put the inquiry. Her father did not notice anything odd in her look, much less Calhoun, who was himself markedly laboring to conceal some disagreeable thought under the guise of an assumed naivete. Ever since entering the room, he had maintained a studied silence, keeping his eyes averted, instead of, according to his usual custom, constantly straying towards his cousin. He sate nervously in his chair, and once or twice might have been seen to start as a servant entered the room. Beyond doubt, he was under the influence of some extraordinary agitation. "'Very strange, Henry, not being here to his breakfast,' remarked the planter for about the tenth time. "'Surely he is not abed till this hour. No, no, he never lies so late. And yet if abroad, he couldn't be at such a distance as to not have heard the horn. He may be in his room, it is just possible. Pluto!' "'Oh, dear, call me, Mass Woodley, I see here.' The sable coachy, acting as table-waiter, was in the sala, hovering around the chairs. "'Go to Henry's sleeping room. 
If he's there, tell him we're at breakfast, halfway through with it. He'd no doubt, Mas Woodley. You have been to his room? Ho, oh, ho, yes, dat am I see no been to de room itself, but I see been to de tabla to look at a Massa Henry hoss and gib him him fodder and corn. Ho, oh, ho, dat same old hoss he ain't dar, nor han't a been all ob dis morning. I war up by de Foss Creek ob day. No hoss dar, no saddle, no bridle, and of course, no Massa Henry. Ho, oh, ho, he had been gone out for am de watching about de place. Are you sure? asked the planter, seriously stirred by the intelligence. Satin shub, Mas Woodley, dat no hoss doans in dat el tabla seppin de soil ab Massa Cahoon, spotty am in de closure outside Massa Henry hoss and Noah. It don't follow that Master Henry himself is not in his room. Go instantly and see. Oho, I see go on de instam, Massa, but for all dat dis child no speck find de young gentleman dar, Woho, whatever de old hoss am, dar Massa Henry am too. There's something strange in all this pursued the planter as pluto shuffled out of the sala henry from home and at night too where can he have gone i can't think of anyone he would be visiting at such unseasonable hours he must have been out all night or very early according to the nigger's account at the port i suppose with those young fellows not at the tavern i hope oh no he wouldn't go there interposed calhoun who appeared as much mystified by the absence of henry as was poindexter himself he refrained, however, from suggesting any explanation or saying aught of the scenes to which he had been witness on the preceding night. It is to be hoped he knows nothing of it, reflected the young Creole. If not, it may still remain a secret between brother and myself. I think I can manage Henry. But why is he still absent? I've stayed up all night waiting for him. He must have overtaken Maurice, and they have fraternized. I hope so, even though the tavern may have been the scene of their reconciliation. Henry is not much given to dissipation, but after such a burst of passion, followed by his sudden repentance, he may have strayed from his usual habits. Who could blame him if he has? There can be little harm in it, since he has gone astray in good company. How far the string of reflections might have extended is not easy to say, since it did not reach its natural ending. It was interrupted by the reappearance of Pluto, whose important air, as he re-entered the room, proclaimed him the bearer of eventful tidings. "'Well?' cried his master, without waiting for him to speak. "'Is he there?' "'No, Mas Woodley,' replied the black, in a voice that betrayed a large measure of emotion. "'He are not there, Massa Henry, am not, but—but—' he hesitatingly continued. "'This child grieb to say dat—dat him hoss am dar. "'His horse there, not in his sleeping room, I suppose. "'No, Massa, nor in de tablin neither, but out there by de big gate.' "'His horse at the gate, and why, pray, do you grieve about that?' "'Ecause, Mas Woodley, ecause de hoss dat a Massa Henry hoss, ecause de animal—' "'Speak out, you stammering nigger. What because? I suppose the horse has his head upon him? Or is it his tail that is missing?' "'Ah, Mas Woodley, dis nigger feel dat a missin was done either him head or him tail. I se feel dat de ol' hoss hab lost him rider.' "'What? Henry thrown from his horse? Nonsense, Pluto!' My son is too good a rider for that. Impossible that he should have been pitched out of the saddle. Impossible. Woho, I don't say he war phone out of de saddle. Go almighty, I feel de trouble worse than dat. Oh, deal o' massa, I tell you no more. Come to de gate, Abdu Hash Hashanti, and see for yourself. 
By this time the impression conveyed by Pluto's speech, much more by his manner, notwithstanding its ambiguity, had become sufficiently alarming. And not only the planter himself, but his daughter and nephew, hastily forsaking their seats and preceded by the sable coachman, made their way to the outside gate of the hacienda. A sight was there awaiting them, calculated to inspire all three with the most terrible apprehensions. A negro man, one of the field slaves of the plantation, stood holding a horse that was saddled and bridled, the animal wet with the dews of the night, and having been evidently uncared for in any stable, was snorting and stamping the ground, as if but lately escaped from some scene of excitement in which he had been compelled to take part. He was speckled with a color darker than that of the dewdrops, darker than his own coat of bay-brown, the spots scattered over his shoulders, the streaks that ran parallel with the downward direction of his limbs, the blotches showing conspicuously on the saddle flaps, were all the color of coagulated blood. Blood had caused them, spots, streaks, and blotches. Whence came that horse? From the prairies. The negro had caught him on the outside plain, as with the bridle trailing among his feet, he was instinctively straying towards the hacienda. To whom did he belong? The question was not asked. All present knew him to be the horse of Henry Poindexter. Nor did anyone ask whose blood bedaubed the saddle flaps. The three individuals most interested could think of only that one, who stood to them in the triple relationship of son, brother, and cousin. The dark red spots on which they were distractedly gazing had spurted from the veins of Henry Poindexter. They had no other thought. End of chapter 37 Recorded by Jen Jones, Montreal, Canada